Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. And you guys look good today. Welcome to church. I hope you're excited to be here. If you're new to Vox, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor. Thank you for being a part of our services today. Can you turn to the person next to you and give them a big smile? Come on, just give them, a, give them like a full face smile. There you go. That might be the first smile they've got all week, right? That's good. Welcome to Vox. So glad that you've decided to join us. Hey, listen, if you have not heard about Illum, it is our women's conference and it is coming up. I asked my wife if she would share just a minute about it. Chrissy, come on out. Come on, can you give her a hand as she comes? Thank you, thank you. Listen, October 5th and October 12th, a little less than two weeks away for our first weekend. Listen, there are moments where there are unique encounters with God's presence available, and I really believe that on these two dates, that is what we are going to experience as we step in. Women from across all of our campuses coming together to hear about union with God, identity, purpose. And so if you have not signed up today, girls grade six, all the way up to the oldest woman in the room, there is space for you as we press in union with Christ, identity, purpose and really make space for his presence to do a deep work in our hearts. I'm praying for you and really believing that God's going to do a great thing. So if you haven't signed up, do it today. We sold out last year and we want to make more room for you. So November 5th or November 12th. Amen. November 5th and 12th. I'm going to be there. No, I'm not. I'm actually not going to be there, but it's going to be awesome. So excited about all that God's doing here at Vox Church. But uh, we've been in a series called The Sacred Us, right? Talking about community. What does it look like to be a part of biblical community? We live in a world that builds community very differently from the way that Jesus describes community. And so we've spent the last number of weeks, this is week six, and we're gonna go nine in total, just looking at this idea of community, saying, God, would you help us become the people of God? Would you help us become the church of Jesus? And so today we'll be in John chapter two. John chapter 2, a story you may or may not be familiar with. It says this, starting in verse 1, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, but... When the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. I want to speak for a few minutes here today under the heading marked by joy. Marked by joy. You know, what does it look like to be a part of biblical community? What does it look like to be a part of this unique expression of the body of Jesus called the church? 
Are we a community marked by joy? And my prayer today is that you would leave. You would leave marked by joy in a way like you've never been before. That we as a community would cultivate and grow something here that looks joyful, full of the joy of Christ as our strength. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your church. I ask that you do a supernatural work among us for the person who is their first time here to the person who's been here for months or years, been a part of this community of faith. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you stir us up? Would you challenge us? Would you help us to see you at work in our life, our lives as you truly are? I speak your blessing over your people as we approach your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Last, uh, last Saturday, I spent some time with my three-year-old, and uh, we were just taking a little bit of time, and she's in a puzzle phase, and so we're building puzzles now, you know, and if you have kids, and you know that, you know, some kids, they just get drawn to this. My oldest son, he's 16 now, he was a puzzle kid when he was three or four years old, but, uh, but the other two, my, my nine-year-old and my, my, my 13-year-old, they were, eh, you know, take it or leave it, they weren't like real puzzle kids, but, but Thea, she loves puzzles, and so we're taking some time, I found this puzzle that was my boy's puzzle, and we start doing it on the living room floor, just putting it all together, and, and she's just loving it, you know, and, and she's kind of clicking all the pieces together and if I'm honest I don't generally take a whole lot of time to build puzzles with my three-year-old but uh but on this particular Saturday last week um just watching her face as she figured it out you know and put the pieces together it was like sheer joy I mean like she was just loving life and uh, for a few minutes it seemed like time slowed down you know and it was fun it was fun to watch her succeed at those puzzles. We took a picture. I took a picture of our success. You can put my puzzle up there. This was our puzzle. There it is. Boom. You know, you might look at it and be like, why are you building a dinosaur puzzle with your three-year-old daughter? This is what happens when you're the youngest of four and your three older brothers are your source of puzzles, right? And so this was their puzzle and it kind of just got passed down. And you'll also know as classic fourth child, there's a missing puzzle piece, right? It's like, where's that piece? Who knows where that piece is? I have no idea. It existed some time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And, uh, and that's what's left of it. But, uh, but I felt like this was a fitting illustration for the beginning of our sermon today because, you know, in many ways, your life is like a puzzle, isn't it? My life is like a puzzle. You can take my spooky puzzle down. But yeah, it's, it's, there's something about, you know, uh, life that, that is a puzzle. You're trying to figure it out, trying to put the pieces together, right? You're trying to build something. So maybe you're building a career or you're building your family or you're building your retirement or you're building your house or whatever it might be. We're all building something, right? Building, building, building. Building, building, and that's wonderful. That's a part of life. But at the same time as we're building, it also seems that for many of us, there is a missing piece. There's something that's missing in the midst of our building. That as we build something in life or various things at the same time, the missing piece seems to very often be that in the midst of building, we have lost the ability to enjoy life. We've lost the ability to enjoy the things that we have, right? Enjoy the things that God's given us. And, and we're in an environment where there's a thousand little entertainments and options and comforts and, uh, you know, all the technology that we have today. But too many of us are living with all those options in a cloud of disappointment. Like things just aren't good for me, you know, and we're focused on the two things that are wrong rather than the 20 things that are right. It seems the natural human condition to be anxious, upset, frustrated about those things, but not so grateful, happy, thankful, and joyful about the good things. And so you look around our culture today, and people are cynical and sarcastic and often grumpy and complaining. 
Proverbs 17 says that a cheerful heart is good medicine. I like that. A cheerful heart is good medicine. How many people do you know who actually have a cheerful heart, right? When you look around, do you see people at your work or on your neighborhood, on your block, or in your family when you get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas? Is everybody being defined by a cheerful heart? Is that the norm? Or is it something else? Is it frustration and anxiety and fear and anger? It seems like so many people are living one little thing away from explosion, right? I read a news article this week about a guy who ordered some food at a restaurant in New York City, and they messed up his order, and so he went back later that night and burned the building down. It's like, this is the world we're living in. Are you kidding me? Like, because they messed up your order? And you may not be there, and maybe you are there. We'll pray for you after service, but, you know, yeah, I burned the building down. Okay, well, we can pray through that, but, but maybe you're not there, but maybe you are. You know, you're not burning the building down, but you're, you're screaming at the dog. You know, or you're yelling at the kids or you're, you know, irate about the UPS guy who keeps messing things up, you know, or whatever it might be in your context. Why do we seem to lack the ability to enjoy life? Why do we seem to lack the ability to enjoy life? Why does it seem that we're only enjoying a fraction of what God's given us? What, what is that? What's wrong with us? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why this story about Jesus is so intriguing in John 2, because we're told it's a sign, okay? And that's important. What it's telling us is that it's intended to give us a revelation of who God is and of specifically what Jesus came to do, all right? So it's not just a miracle that he's providing this blessing to this individual. It's something bigger than that. And so when you think about it that way, it's pretty incredible because here we have God who became flesh and bones. And the very first thing he does to display his glory is not to cast out a demon or to feed 5,000 or to raise Lazarus from the dead. He does all those things, but he does them much later. The very first, his opening act, the very first thing he decides to do is turn a whole lot of water into a whole lot of really good wine. Why would he, like, what? What? Now, Jesus is not endorsing drunkenness, just to clarify that, okay? He's not saying, like, drink it all. Like, that's not what he's saying. The Bible's very clear about drunkenness and its destruction in the lives of people. That's not what he's saying. Wine is a symbol of celebration. And I think there's an obvious conclusion that we often overlook in Jesus turning water into wine as his very first miracle. Is that he turned water into wine because God wants you to enjoy life. Why is that so hard for us to grasp? You know, I think some of us are actually uncomfortable with that. That if you're honest, you don't see God that way. You don't see God as one who wants you to enjoy life. A lot of us, we see God as holy and righteous and as the judge of all things. And he is all of those things. But we assume that those qualities are going to hinder our enjoyment of life. And so many people see Christianity or Christians as this life of duty and obligation and do the right thing and be good and miss out on some fun. And if you do, God will eventually let you into heaven. And so many of us have actually lived our lives in a battle with God. Oh, God wants me to do this, but I want to do that. And I'm not sure. And I don't want to. And I'm not, I can't trust him back and forth. And you're acting as though God is trying to rob you of your joy, of your pleasure, of your opportunities He's trying to rob you, friend. If you think that God is trying to rob you of anything good in this world, you have a broken, deceived, distorted perception of God. He is not trying to rob you 
of your deepest desires. He is seeking to radically satisfy those desires. But in order to satisfy those deep desires, he has to redirect them because you don't even know what you need most. You don't even know what you want most. And so he has to reveal to you what your heart really needs. David understood this, the old prophet from the Old Testament, right? In Psalm 16, he says this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. I love that because it infers that, you know, we don't know the path of life. You know, like, I think I do. I think this, this, and this is going to fix me, but it doesn't. And so God has a wisdom I don't have. He makes known to me the path of life. And look at the result. In your presence, there's, look at this phrase, fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Does that sound like a God who's trying to rip you off? Does that sound like a God who's trying to keep you from being happy? Or maybe, just maybe, God knows more about joy than you and I do. I mean, what, is it, what does it mean to have joy? Well, on the most basic level, the dictionary would tell us that joy is a good feeling in the soul. That's what joy is, a good feeling. But Christian joy goes even deeper than that. It's a good feeling in the soul, but it comes from the comprehension or the revelation of the goodness of God. That when we really know and believe that God is good, he's good, it leads to joy in our hearts. Jesus described his mission this way. In John 10, he said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Speaking of the devil, the devil's here to rip you off. But I have come, he says, that they, that's all humanity, people may have life and have it to the full. So God's purpose for you is fullness of life. Now, this doesn't mean that life's always going to be easy or comfortable or that there won't be suffering or sorrow or mourning or grief. There will be those things. That is a part of this journey called life. But it does mean this, that if you are in Christ, that even as you experience those things, God's goodness will break through. He will reveal himself even in the darkest circumstances, and he will give you a joy that is stronger and more powerful than anything you face in this world. And in the end, he will take the things that are even your most darkest sorrows and turn them into even deeper blessings. This is God's purpose for you. And it's that conviction that assurance, that confidence that comes into the life of a believer that propels them to a life of joy. And so Jesus uses this moment at a wedding to give us a picture of who God is, to correct our vision of God, and at the same time to show us what he came to do. And he leaves us a little clue. The first clue is in his conversation with his mom. It's a weird conversation. It's a sermon unto itself. He has this conversation with his mom. We're not going to get into all the details today. But he says to her, he says, what is it to me when she asks him to help because the groom didn't prepare, didn't have enough wine? He says, what is it to me? My hour has not yet come. And I always took that to mean his hour for doing miracles, right? But if you understand it that way, you realize that right after he says it, he does a miracle. So it's like, well, that's weird. He couldn't mean that. My hour has not yet come. What did he mean? He used that little cryptic phrase as a clue so that we could understand what he was doing here. My hour has not yet come is a phrase that John uses again and again and again in the Gospel of John. He uses it in John 7. He uses it in John 8. He uses it multiple times in John 12. And every time John uses that phrase in his, in his, in his letter, his uh, Gospel, excuse me, he's using it, the hour of Jesus is always describing the hour of Christ's death on the cross. And so when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, what he's saying is, I'm not dying for the sin of the world yet. But I am going to perform this miracle as a metaphor of my death on the cross. 
so that you could understand what I'm going to accomplish through my sacrifice. And so then he takes these big, massive jars of water, right? And he has these guys fill the waters, or the, the jars up. They weren't full. He fills them up, right? Now, these jars were used for washing, and it wasn't a hygiene thing. They weren't being clean that way. It was a spiritual thing. The Jews would do this before they entered a banquet or before they ate dinner as a symbol of their uncleanness before God. They would say, God, we are sinful people, and this is a symbol of that. This is an expression of that, and they would wash, and these jars were used for that. And so he takes these jars, and the jars were to represent God's requirement of righteousness. Righteousness. God is holy. God is perfect. God is blameless. And he requires righteousness, right? And so that's what these jars picture. Now, in the Old Testament, if you remember Moses, he turned water into blood by the Spirit of God. And he did this as a sign of the curse. He did it because the sin of the people brought the judgment of God. And so now here comes Christ, right? Here comes Christ, really a prophetic picture of the deliverer that Moses was, right? But now Jesus takes this water, and rather than turning it into blood, he turns it into wine. Not a symbol of the curse, but a symbol of the blessing. And so you remember at the Last Supper when he takes a cup, and he holds up wine, and he said, this is my blood. I'm making a new covenant, a new agreement with humanity between God and people. There is a new agreement being established, right? And he says the wine is a picture of it and it's connected to blood because when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood for the sacrifice of your sins. And imagine the requirement of God like one of these jars, Christ filled the jar with the wine of his blood. He filled the jar of the requirements of righteousness before God so that this becomes a symbol that once was a curse has now become a blessing and these jars are filled up to the top so that you could know that the absolute requirement of righteousness before God was fulfilled in Jesus for you. You see it? This picture that he's describing, he's describing what he would accomplish on the cross, that he would be the righteousness that you could not be, that his death would make you blameless before God because of the love that he expressed through his sacrifice. And so what was once a curse has become a blessing. And this wine is taken to the master of ceremonies, and he starts praising the groom, right? He's like, wow, you saved the best for last. Everybody serves the cheap wine at the end of the dinner, but you serve the best wine. This is incredible. See, in those days, it was the job of the groom to provide the food and the wine for the banquet, and to not provide enough at your wedding was a real shameful act, and this groom had failed. He had not provided enough wine, and they ran out, which was a massive embarrassment. But rather than being condemned, this groom is praised, right? And that's a picture of your life. See, you and I should be condemned for our sin, but Jesus stepped in, And provided what this man could not. And in providing what he could not, he gave the credit back to the man. So it is with you. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he provided the righteousness before God that you could not. And in providing what you could not, he gave all the credit right back to you. So that God can bless you through Christ. And the blessing is extravagant. He made 150 gallons of wine. I mean, just think about that. 150 gallons of really, really good wine. And he did that because he wanted you to know that his grace is bigger than any sin you could ever commit. That his love for you is greater than you could have ever imagined or conceived in your own mind. But in order to receive that grace, you have to respond as the groom responds. 
Now, how did this groom respond? Well, we know what he didn't do, right? He didn't stop the wedding. He didn't go, hey, hey, wait, everybody. Hold on, hold on. Stop, stop the music. Hey, hey, stop it, stop it, stop Can you put the, put the fork down? Everybody, listen to me. Hey, hey, we just got 150 gallons of mystery wine, and it's really good. And I don't know where it came from. We're going to figure this out, everybody. It came from somewhere. We're not, nobody drink it. Don't, no, don't drink it. We got to know. We got to understand this. Can we get out? Let's get a detective. Let's, fi- let's follow the forensics. Where did this come from? Who got it? Where, no, he doesn't do any of that, right? What does he do? He receives it. And he celebrates. He embraces the mystery of the blessing of God and he allows his heart to continue celebrating. So must you. If you want to experience the joy of the Lord as your strength, you must receive it. You're not always going to understand why God does what he does. You're not always going to understand how God does what he does. But Christ died for you. And Christ shed his blood for you. And Christ filled the requirement of righteousness for you. And Christ rose from the dead for you. And Christ put his spirit in you. And if you would just believe it, it would change your heart so that joy would start coming out. Come on. And if it's not coming out, then something's not being believed. That God really is good. He's good. See, this was a miracle as a sign to show us who God is, that he's a good God. And what Christ came to do, that he came to make a way for sinners so that he might give us joy. And all this is important. And we've been talking about community now. This is the sixth week, right? And all of this is important because this truth should produce something in a community. It should produce a community that's different. Now, last week we talked about discipleship. And these two, these two things are so important to keep in balance that discipleship is to say my whole life belongs to Christ. Discipleship is to say I'm giving everything to following Jesus. It's the most important thing. Remember Paul's profit and loss statement? I count everything a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. It's the driving force of my life. But oftentimes when we think about discipleship, we end up thinking that this means that we should be stoic, somber, gloomy, grumpy, serious people all the time. But the truth is, we should be serious about following Jesus. But at the same time, we should be changed by grace so that we're humble and joyful and happy. In other words, Christians should be fun. Right? We should be fun. Not flippant, irreverent, not foolish. That's what I'm talking about. When I say fun, I mean we should learn to enjoy life because it's a gift from God. Because he's been kind to me. Because I have a hope that goes into eternity. And this life is going to come with struggle and trial. But I'm not made just for this life. I'm going to live beyond this life. And because that hope is in me, it comes out of me with a positivity, with a hopefulness, with a joy that changes the way I see the world. And when that grace starts to come out of us as a community, it defines us. It changes us. And this is the fourth principle of biblical community. We've been looking at principles every week. And this is the fourth principle that's so essential to a healthy church, a healthy community. And it's that fun amplifies grace. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that when the people of God learn how to enjoy life, learn how to take God seriously, but not take ourselves so seriously. When we can sit back and receive grace in a way that changes us, we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to posture. We don't have to, uh, you know, fill up all our insecurities. But instead, we can just be ourselves, who we are, an expression of Christ's grace in the world. 
that when we can live that way and we can smile and we can celebrate, it actually broadcasts or amplifies the truth of God's grace to the world. Fun amplifies grace. I want to do something that is a little fun today. Uh, hopefully it's a little fun. Uh, some of you that have been around Vox, maybe you're not uh, really sure who we are or what we're doing or kind of some of the details. Vox is one church, but we meet in nine different locations every Sunday, okay? And so we have various locations in Middletown and Hartford and, and Bridgeport and Springfield, all across Connecticut, Massachusetts, and, and there's 80-something staff right now on the Vox team, okay? Different team members, pastors, leaders, people doing all different types of things in various, and it's, you know, as the organization has grown, its complexity has grown. And so the leadership of that staff is made up of what we call our executive team. And our executive team consists of four guys. I sit on the executive team as the lead pastor. Mike Schnepp, who many of you know, is the executive pastor. Uh, Sean Haggerty serves as our ministries pastor. And Tom Haliva serves as our CFO. And these, the four of us, are pretty different, okay? When you get to know us and start to connect with us a little bit, you'll find that personality-wise, we probably wouldn't have ended up in the same room together uh, by chance. You know what I mean? We're, we're very different. We're, we think different. We approach things differently. We have very different gifts. But we've been on this journey for a number of years now in the leadership of our team at this church church to learn to love each other, to learn to understand each other, to learn to celebrate each other, make space for each other, and actually got a, get a lot done for the kingdom of God. And so I actually, I asked these guys, would you be willing to just chat with me for a few minutes in front of the church about the dynamics of our relationship? So I asked them to come. So could you guys come on out? Come on out, guys. Come on, give them a hand as they come. Ladies and gentlemen, here they come. Thank you. Thanks. Some of you guys probably know Mike or Sean or Tom, or maybe you know everybody here, but, but uh, thank you guys for being a part of this discussion today. I do want to say just right off the bat, I'm going to move this so it's not blocking you guys. I want to say right off the bat how much I love and value and appreciate these three men. They are three of the most godly uh, most honorable, uh, most consistent, most disciplined, most sacrificial, most humble men I've ever met. And so I just want to honor you, thankful for you, grateful for you, and, uh, and our church is grateful for you. Amen. Yeah. Uh, just, guys, just give us like a, give us a two-minute snapshot of, of maybe just a little bit about you, a little bit about uh, what you were, what was life like before joining this team, and then what your role is at Vox here. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so my name is Sean. I'm ministries pastor here at the church. I've talked a bunch of times from this stage about my family. My wife, Kim, and I have been married for 24 years, and we've got two yeah, older guys. Yeah, come on, somebody. Yeah. have got awesome. four kids, two older guys that are 20 and 18, and I've got a couple of middle school girls that we're right in the thick of middle school girlness with. And uh, That's good. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. So my role ju just here has uh, has evolved the last several years. Love the chance to get oversee a variety of different ministries at the church. But before coming here, I was actually in Christian education for 20 years. Out of my undergrad, I went uh, to be a part of Christian Heritage School in Trumbull. Told them I would be there for two years, stayed for 20, and uh, and during that time, just teaching for the first maybe five or six got tucked in with a guy that just grew me up in Jesus like crazy, relationship with him that was just super formative. And he was the chaplain at the school, oversaw spiritual formation, spiritual development, all things programmatic that would kind of roll up to that. And then when he left, again, after sitting under him for a little while, I took over for him for the next 15 years. And it, and it 
ton of ways literally prepared me for what I've been doing here at, at Box on this team, just overseeing a variety of the different ministries at the church. And so whether that's uh, outreach or youth or kids ministry or global missions, all that stuff, those guys that direct that, those are my guys, and they do incredible work. My team just does an incredible work in that. And Mike and I talk all the time about how we really are two sides of the same coin, overseeing me, overseeing ministries of the church, and then Mike overseeing the campuses and the campus staff and, and campus pastors too. So yeah, that's just a little bit. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, so you guys kind of get, so Sean, all the central ministries report up to Sean. So kids, youth, he mentioned a bunch of them, and then all the campuses eventually get up to Mike. So that's kind of the structural, but yeah. go ahead, Mike. Group in Springfield, Massachusetts. Come on, don't you love Mike Schnepp? Everybody loves Mike Schnepp. He's the most lovable person. <laughs> Grew up in Springfield. For those of you up in Massachusetts, went to college up there, Western New England University, did a degree in industrial engineering, and we moved down, my wife and I, to New Haven, my first job out of school, working at a manufacturing facility over by Ikea. And we were just attending a church locally, and that church offered me a position, and so I kind of, without even really trying, fell out of ministry, or fell out of that work world into uh, church ministry, Not that was about almost 15 years ago. And so I paid a lot of money for a degree I used for a couple years, which is just great. So a lot of crossover between my systems engineering days and between what I do now. So um, I linked up with uh, Vox in 2014, and since then have been serving in this executive pastor role where I do a couple of different things, like Sean said, kind of help lead our campuses, our campus pastor team also alongside these guys, but take the lead on things like staff culture, recruiting, hiring, all those kind of different things. My wife and I have been together since we were teenagers. She's a surgery PA at a hospital in the area, and we've got two little girls, eight and five. And so, yeah, it's been eight or nine years that I've been on the team here, and it's been a little ride. Tom? Tom. Yeah. My name is Tom. Um, you may not know me as well. They don't invite me up here for some reason. Um, not exactly sure why, but... Um, You'll find out in a minute why. Just hang tight. No, nah, he was doing good. You're, 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 you're doing really good. I don't know why. They might. Yeah. I grew up in uh, Bridgeport, um, for anybody that is here from Bridgeport. Um, yeah, uh, in a Catholic family, and um, then I married my wife. Uh, we've been together for 30 years. We live in New Haven. Um, awesome. Coming to Vox for 10 years. Uh, we love it. We especially love uh, talking about marriage, meeting with um, people, um, and uh, just showing God's truth in marriage. Um, after college, uh, I went and really did all things corporate. I worked for IBM. I worked for Lloyd's in London and Manhattan. Um, I was a trader on the New York Stock Exchange, and um, yeah, just had the corporate track. About 30 years ago, Lisa and I um, have gotten involved in a commercial um, real estate property business, which we run um, together. And at the same time, I was uh, been teaching over at Sacred Heart for a bunch of years in the School of Business. Um, so I never thought I would really be in ministry. Um, I've been um, at Vox. I'm the last guy on the team. Um, okay, I've been full-time here um, in ministry for about four years now. My job is really everything business, uh, the operations side of the church, um, things like uh, IT, of course, finance, um, database management, facilities, real estate acquisitions, all that kind of stuff. A typical day for me could be anything from working on a lease to uh, try to, to find a new property for a new launch, uh, to talking about facilities 
things of that nature or looking at making sure IT works. Um, I've been blessed with an incredible team, both um, on our staff, uh, God's called uh, really talented people to come and help us, as well as some of our volunteer teams um, on the building team and financial board and things like that. Um, so yeah, and the long and the short for me is just trying to provide really good underpinnings for our church in the areas of finance and in the areas of you know good practices for uh, um, property management and all that kind of thing so that we could be strong now and then grow just one final thought. They don't give me the mic that much, so right now Justin's like, you're... Thanks so much, Tom. So the next question... Your your two minutes is up, Um, but just one final thought. Like, this place, such a dream, and just the blessing. um, I've built a a lot of uh, buildings in the private world, and just to be able to do this um, and just see this come together where people are, lives are being changed physically because of this property and just having a a role in it... um, just amazing for me. Yeah. yeah. It's, awesome. yeah. it's good. <laughs> so one thing, one of the reasons I asked these guys to come up here is uh, you'll notice that, you know, we're, we're pretty different, okay, uh, in a lot of ways, right? So Tom is a realist. Tom's background's in business and finance and, and, uh, and you know, and then Mike, if you know Mike, I mean, Mike is just steady Freddie. I mean, he's just the steadiest guy you'll ever meet. He's flexible, but he's just steady, consistent, just always on, you know, Sean, uh, we like to pick on is, um, he's a deep thinker and he has deep thoughts about everything. And, uh, and, and, he, and he's very intentional, very strategic. Me, I'm a little bit more of like a kind of activator, like let's go, you know, like visionary, like we can, you know, let's launch the plane out and then put the wing on while we're in the air type of a plan. And, and you know, so just dynamically, the four of us, uh, there's a lot of opinions, okay? It's not like, hey, everybody's, you know, thinking the same. Well, almost never, right? There's, there's just a lot of opinions. And, and one of the challenges that we've had and one of the benefits that we've had is learning to uh, learn from one another, learning to appreciate the differences that each person brings. And I know just personally for myself, and I'll open up to you guys, that they have, they have rounded me out in ways that are essential for the health of our church that, you know, I would say that so many times I will not see something, you know, because I see what I see. I don't see everything. I see what I see. And then to have one of these guys see something that I totally didn't see has been humbling, but also so helpful uh, to our, to our church and to our team. And, and I would just ask you guys, how do you think it's, it's worked for us uh, being very, very different. How have we learned to really uh, fit well together? What would you want to say about that? Yeah, for sure. I would just, though, like to point out the fact that just a few minutes ago when we were introducing ourselves that Justin skipped right over me and said, Mike is so lovable. Did you, <laughs> did you hear that? Did you just show Well, you have yeah. a lot of other qualities. You yeah, have other qualities. There's other things. Yeah. Let's talk about Mike's being lovable. He is um, lovable. Yeah. Um, You're a lovable guy. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. So here's, a, here's what I think of often when I think about this team and, and just kind of, yeah, just God's grace on it in many ways. So X number of years ago when I was interviewing for this, this place and what God was going to call um, eventually me too, getting to the tail end of just a lot of different interviews, last day sitting with Justin, and we were actually at his house over pizza. We had been doing this for hours uh, on end, and I remember saying to him, Justin, man, like, where, like, where do you think that we are just kind of in this process? And he looks at me just kind of squinty-eyed with this long pregnant pause and just goes, you're not like me. <laughs> and, 
And, and again, there was another pregnant pause that I wonder what was coming next uh, on the other side of that. But then uh, he just goes, and I like that. And, and, I, and I know that I need that. And I just remember from the get-go here, that was the beginnings of a real, um, just a, a real being impressed just from, uh, on my end with a spirit of humility, of, of mutual deference to one another that would come to characterize these last several years that we've been kind of going at this together. He's not wrong. We're, we're really different. And I think we have grown to appreciate, yeah. we're similar in some ways too, yeah. um, but, but we've grown to appreciate that, that about each other a lot. He builds planes in the air. When he builds planes in the air and kind of is taking that next hill, I, I do break out in hives. I do. He does and sometimes. I yeah, do, yeah that's, uh, that's real. He, Justin leads with high vision, high mission, both of which I love and I love about him. But I'm, my impulse when he starts to take that next hill is to wonder if we actually have the horse to get over the hill. Is the horse well? Is there a team that's actually following us in the process? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, have so we yeah. fed the horse in the last year? Have we yeah. fed the horse yeah, at, uh, at all? Yeah. yeah. It's good. So, yeah. So the difference is, but yeah, I think, I think really growing an appreciation for like when I see him operating in those gifts, just going, man, I love that about you yeah. and you go. And then just that mutual deference. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Mike. What would you say? I think when it comes to differences with any relationship you're in, whether it's a marriage relationship or a very close working relationship, you're faced with, with wrestling with, am I going to be insecure about the differences and, and gifts and skill sets that the person next to me has? Yeah. Or am I going to grow to be confident in who God has created me to be and then be able to celebrate the gifts of others? So I could tell you about the ways each of these three guys are profoundly sharper and smarter than me. And you have a choice of, am I going to shrink back from that? Or can I just begin to celebrate who God has made me to be, trying to elevate the gifts he's given me while celebrating and making room for other wow. people's gifts? And so you have that choice. Am I going to lean into insecurity because I don't know who I am, or as the gospel begins to take root, you can celebrate the gifts of others. And yeah, so, you know, so good. it's good. For me, it's like, I'm pretty sure the only reason I'm on this team is because I got here first. <laughs> and so, you know, it's very freeing. You know, the other day I was texting, Sean is a great thinker. And we, we oftentimes have these moments where Justin will say something in a meeting to Sean and Sean will say, oh man, I already started working on that. And I'm like, it's like, always oh, strikes me. And so the other day I texted him, I went, how come every time Justin says, hey, have you thought about that? You say, I started working on it. And I said, how come every time he says it to me, I go, huh, you don't say. <laughs> cool. So a while ago, I had all these guys, we took a, uh, we all took a personality test and, uh, and it assigned an animal to you depending on where you landed. So, so I was, I was a lion and so was Tom. So we were two lions, squarely lions. We thought that's pretty legit. Meaning they so, eat people no, no, alive. No, no, no. We were just it lions. It was not so, a win. So Sean actually was also a lion, but he was. He was not a, a big Right. Lion. It was like a, was a yeah, smaller, smaller lion. lion. Yeah. It was less lioness. Mike, Mike was an otter. And so. <laughs> So that has just been a real blessing to all of us. That um, so now you're straight. <laughs> so lovable. That now most fierce otter just... has has uh, been such a profound gift to this team. So, yeah, Tom. Anything you want to add about figuring out how to work together when when uh, when we're very different? Yeah, I guess if we're going to continue the horse analogy, um, I'd be the one to make sure we could afford the feed to feed the horse. <laughs> yeah, um, in that. So, yeah. Um, just from a difference perspective, wow, what a joy. Like coming from the uh, corporate world um, and sitting on teams uh, outside of this group of guys, uh, I could just tell you, uh, you know, there's no rivalry here. There's no self-promotion here. These are four guys, um, including myself, these three, 
um, that want to see Jesus' name made famous in yeah. New England, and um, everything else is pushed aside. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's big. That's really good. Yeah, and you know, we talk about we talk about taking that mission very, very seriously, and at the same time, learning to not take ourselves so seriously. Because you know, ministry, especially as a job, there's a lot of pressures involved. I know you've got pressures in your life too. I get it. Everybody has pressures, but in this context, there is a pressure involved with ministry. And, uh, and that can be exhausting. That can be kind of uh, deflating. But so how do, you, how do you take the gospel seriously, but at the same time, be able to not take yourself so seriously, be able to laugh at yourself a little bit and, uh, and be able to have a little bit of fun. And, and I just want to ask that of you guys. How have you learned to laugh at yourself? How have we learned to laugh at ourselves in a very serious role with a very serious mission that we take seriously? How have we learned to celebrate each other and, and, and also makes a little space to laugh. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, or a lot of space Or sometimes laugh. a lot there's, of space, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot at, at one another's expense in the best ways. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I, I think that leaning in, I know you probably think the same thing, but I think that leaning into those things that make you just you and are kind of your quirky things, right? When you lean, what I mean when I say just lean into them is just not pretending that those things aren't there or not letting them drive you crazy about one another, but actually just learning how to laugh at those things. These guys hammer me. I mean, you already saw it like two or three times. They, these guys hammer me ruthlessly about thinking, which, by the way, is not a bad thing. <laughs> Can we just can we just say that together? But um, so it's just so much There's thinking <laughs> about so many things. So anyway, all the time. But my uh, my kids uh, my my kids so do true. the same. They hammer and they uh, they they have talked about getting me a T-shirt that says I have thoughts. Yeah. And I do say that I do say that a lot. And and one of the things I think these guys nail me that I've just learned to laugh a lot. You receive it and I I, I laugh is. And they're not wrong. I I have a I have what kind of called a thinking face. I uh, when when I'm yes. thinking, it uh, under normal human in normal human relationships and behavior, that thinking face uh, would communicate a measure of we'll say displeasure, <laughs> disgust, or I don't know that you are smart enough to exist. So I so but true. I don't. But I I don't mean that. I don't ever 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 mean that. Well, sometimes, but. Most of the time, I don't, I, I really don't mean that. Anyway, they, they do hammer me pretty good, pretty regularly about my face. He does. So, yeah. One of my favorite nicknames for Sean is Tiramisu because everything has seven layers of. <laughs> I'm like, Sean, Mike, just give me the whipped cream. Mike is so committed to giving people nicknames, they're usually terrible. <laughs> and, uh, they, so many nicknames. But, but they are great. It's good. Mean spirited. I think one of the Go things ahead. that the gospel does for you is it allows you to laugh at yourself. Because once you begin to understand that God loves you in your imperfection and in your mess, you can laugh when you act like an idiot, when you say stupid things. Every sermon I preach, there's one or two real solid bloopers that I got to hear about from the campus pastors for the next two months. And you can laugh because, man, God sees you and loves you and has created you uniquely. And so you can lean into your quirks because... You're not perfect, and that's not what God loves you based on. And it's just a gift. The gospel is the door in, and then it's the daily bread for our lives. And so it's a gift just to be able to not look at yourself like, so seriously, and i got to get everything right. Like, you're not going to. And so lean in and laugh and surround yourself with people who are going to remind you yeah. often. Yeah, that's good. The, the team put together a, uh, 
a blooper reel, a reel of diff- different things. You know, Solomon said, with many words, folly is unavoidable, right? And so if you're up here talking a lot, there's going to be dumb things that you say. And I just, for the record, I think I, I, think I, dis- I, think I say proportionally fewer, even though they do grab the bloopers that I make and, and play them for me regularly. And just actually the other day, a group of the pastors were sitting in one of our offices watching a clip of me and laughing. And I walked in. And it was a clip from a, a while ago, and they're all laughing about it, and it's this moment where I'm praying, okay, and I'm, I'm praying at the end of service, and it's on video, right, because we're always filming, and so, uh, and so I'm, 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 I meant to say, give God your best praise, right? Give God your best praise! But for whatever reason, I added an R into best. <laughs> give God your best praise! And as soon as I said it, like, the band just legit stopped, and they all, like, looked at me. I was like, best, your best praise, you know, and it was just like, and they're all sitting there just having a good time watching that clip, and that's, like, that's part of, like, that's part of the moments. Like, listen, can you, can you, can you enjoy your, 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 the moments, the silly moments, the, the moments that you don't take so, uh, you know, seriously. And whenever Mike brings up one of mine, I always bring up one of his. And, he, and one of my favorites with Mike is when, uh, when, he, when he preached on the 10 lepers. This is years ago now. The 10 lepers. But he kept saying the 10 leopards. The 10 leopards. And I bought him a pair of leopard pajamas. Remember that afterwards? <laughs> Because it was like, yeah, man. For Christmas. Yeah, Jesus healed those leopards. He was at the zoo healing leopards. Uh, what Bible are we teaching here? My goodness. It's good. It's good. But just, just, as, just as we, you know, think about this, guys. What, what you've been on this team, the gospel's advancing. What have you enjoyed about being on this team? What have you loved about, about doing this together uh, as God has given us the grace to do it? What would you say? Yeah, I, I mean, it's no mystery to me. I, I mean, even what you've seen up here, this interplay between matters of the heart that are real and serious and diving into the deep end together and not being afraid to laugh and to laugh a lot. And, and I, I think that I, I laugh more with this team than many, many in my life. And that's, that's pretty incredible. You know, I, I remember reading a long time ago that one of the truest definitions of a friend is somebody that knows the worst about you and yet it'll never use that to hurt you, but only to strengthen you and to build That's you good. up. That's good. And yeah, yeah I mean, I, I would say it's, it really is such a, such a sweet description of the way that we are. I think that if you, although yes, there are moments like Tom says, there are moments in executive team meetings that where we would say, wow, this is the way that things happen and this is a little scary. Um, but there are also other, other moments that you just kind of go, wow, these guys are in each other's hearts, they're in each other's lives, they are mutually dependent upon one another. And that is held in this really cool balance between that, matters of the deep heart, deep matters of the heart, and uh, really going for it and laughing a ton. So I love it, I love it about it. I would echo everything Sean said. And I would also add, I think all of us know just that, that ache in your heart to do things that matter with people you love. Yeah. And so, you know, to get to do that is just such an honor to put our hands to work that matters deeply to each and every single one of us. And I know that, you know, many of us, it's why we talk about discipleship sets direction, because it's a powerful thing when in relationship you can set your eyes towards the horizon and know that God has called you to something and laugh and do it alongside people you love. So I don't take that for granted at all. Yeah, I, 
I mean, this is a group of guys that really understands that promotion is from the Lord. And this is, you know, just for me, just really um, just this idea that um, I'm worth more than just what I can give um, is just really incredible. And so, yeah, it it is an executive team. It is a team, but it's also a community. And um, just being able to experience that on on a regular basis is awesome. And they put up with the fact that I like to sing, and I'm really a worship leader trapped in an accountant's body. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. You should hear him in the hallways sometimes. It's, uh, it's really special. It really is. It is a special thing. Tom sings like it's a treasure hunt for the right note. You just you look around long enough, eventually you find it. You know. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm not receiving that. Yeah, it's great. It's really nice. It really is good. Well, the reason I asked these guys to come out here and, uh, and, and, and listen, we kept, you know, even, even in this, it was fun because, you know, uh, Sean was like, well, let's, let's just think, think through, talk through what we're going to say. And I was like, no, let's not do that. I'll just ask you questions. It's going to be great. And you were like, well, let's be thoughtful about it. And I was like, no, let's just have a conversation. It's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. I trust you guys. And but, then uh, because you wouldn't give him what he wanted, he emailed he us what himself. we should say. <laughs> Here are the questions. Here's what your answer should say. We're like, oh, that's say. great. That's great, John. Great. And yeah. Sean, we still didn't get it right either. <laughs> that's actually so true. But the reason, the reason that I wanted to take this time, and you might think this is a weird sermon. Well, the, the reason I wanted to take this time is because, you know, here at Vox, we're, this is real, right? This is real life. And our dream, our hope, our prayer of faith is that we cultivate a community that is passionate and serious about following Jesus, but also lives like the joy of the Lord is our strength. That also we can smile, we can laugh, we can enjoy each other. And this has, this has implications for your family. This has implications for your uh, volunteer teams here at Vox, for your community group, for every gathering following or followers of Jesus that there could be. It's a gathering where we say, yes, we're serious. Yes, we're sober. Yes, we're pursuing God, but we're also enjoying the grace of God, uh, the God who turns water into wine in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Sean, would you just pray that? Would you pray that for our church, that this would be contagious uh, in our church at this time? Let's pray together, church. Yeah, Father, you are a God of great abundance, yes. and we do worship you. You abundantly shower grace upon us that is a freeing grace. It frees us, God, and we all celebrate it here. We celebrate it on this team. We celebrate it as a church, as a people, that you are a God who doesn't look to us and say, perform. I will be your best performance. And so that we can relax in the steady, yeah. steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. Yes, and so that's the celebration of our hearts. And so, God, would you release by the power of your Holy Spirit a fresh understanding of what it means to receive that grace, what it produces in a life that reflects that, yeah. that, that rejoices, that when we look at our lives, we're able to see these jars that are full all over the place. And it makes us smile. It makes us people of joy. It makes us people of laughter. Yeah. A God who's just that gracious. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Abound, Lord, in our church community to overflowing. Oh, that we would receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just thank these guys? Come on, just give them a hand. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being a part of the service today. You know, it says it. 
In Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart is good medicine. And you know, I believe that, uh, that the church, the people of God, we have the medicine that the world needs most. And it's the ability to be joyful, even in trial, even in challenge, even in difficulty, that there is a joy that goes deeper because the grace of God, because the eternal life of God. And so I just want to encourage you even today to invite the spirit of Jesus to stretch you. Think about your own life. Think about the challenges that you're going through to stretch you to be a person of joy, to teach you and to teach us to be a community that knows how to be strengthened by the grace of God and to express that joy on our face, through our words, through our attitude, through our perspective. Would you stand with me? I want to pray today. And I just want to take a moment as we prepare to sing in just a second to give you an opportunity for introspection. I want to give you a chance to look at your own life, look at your own perspective on God, and just answer the question, you know, have I seen God as a God who wants to rob me or a God who wants to fill me? Do I believe that following him is fullness of joy? Or have I tried to bargain with God and hold on to things because I feel like he's going to take something from me? Don't you realize that everything God takes from you, it's like a father taking a scorpion from a child. He does it to protect you. He does it because he loves you. He does it because he's for you. That when God has to take something from you, it's always so that he can give you something even better. And when that's the deep conviction of your heart, it does change you. And so I wonder if you're here today, if you were honest and said, you know what, if I'm, if I'm really being transparent, I've been, I've been living like, like God's not really good. I've been living like God's not really good. I want to challenge you to take a step of faith today. To look at the cross. Look at the evidence. Look at those jars full with the wine of his blood. And choose to trust in a God who's good. Choose to trust that in your circumstances right now, he's going to show himself good. And he's not always going to explain himself. Remember the groom who had to celebrate without an explanation. He's not always going to explain himself. But he is going to come through in this life and in the next life. Or maybe if you're honest, you know, you would say that you believe God's good. But you sort of have a stoic, gloomy, grumpy attitude towards life. If you ask the people closest to you, if you are a joyful person, you may not get a very high grade. I want to just invite you to ask the Lord to help you change. We each have our different personalities, and that's part of the blessings of the Lord. Not everybody has to be, you know, bubbly or over the top, but every one of us should experience the joy of Christ in our hearts. And so if you're here today and you're saying, you know, that's not really my default, and I want it to be, ask the Lord to do it in you now. Would you pray with me? Come on, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we turn our eyes towards you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you make the truth of the gospel more true to us. I pray that you would write it on our hearts that we are loved by God, that we are forgiven of sin, that we are accepted in Christ, that we are made whole in his love, that he's given us eternal life. I pray that the truths of your gospel would be branded on our hearts in such a way that joy would come forth, that God, you would teach us to be a people who take seriously following Christ and are free to not take ourselves so seriously.
but that we would create an atmosphere of celebration in our homes and in our lives. Lord, stretch me now. If you're here today and you've been plagued by worry, you've been plagued by fear and anxiety, turn those things over to the Lord right now. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we sing this song, that you would meet us with the presence of your spirit and that that would be more than enough. We lift you up in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.